Okay, so please turn to Colossians 1 verse 9. We are definitely uh, well into the introduction of Colossians. Colossians 1 verse 9. Um, we finally covered the first two paragraphs in this rich book. And, and now we're uh, plunging, we're making our way into the third paragraph as Paul now begins his supplication for this little church that was birthed about six or seven years um, prior to this letter was written. Uh, so let's read verse 9 of Colossians 1. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, uh, before we move in, we need to remember one thing, one thing very important uh, to recall, that there were false teachers at that time, and they um, were about to ferociously attack the Colossians. And now we're about to dig their claws of false doctrines into this young body of Christ. And what is the false doctrine? Well, they would say it's not enough to embrace the gospel of Jesus. It's not enough to have the gospel for you to be spiritually healthy. The gospel is good but it's just not good enough. Well, what else do we need, Mr. False Teachers? Well, you want to draw nearer to God, don't you? Of course we do. Of course we want to draw nearer to God. Well, you need special knowledge. You need extra biblical knowledge, meaning you need to study philosophy, Greek philosophy at that time. That's Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Or you need to see visions, Colossians 2 verse 18. Or perhaps dream dreams. These will certainly take you to a whole new spiritual level that you've never experienced before. But uh, philosophy, I mean, they've got really long and hard words. They just go over our heads. Visions, we don't. We don't see visions. Oh, don't you? Well, poor souls. You are nowhere near as spiritual as we are. You, you must be second class Christians. And your spiritual condition must be very, very poor. That's sad. Now, brothers, we must keep this in mind as we unpack the prayer of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. Now, why should we keep this in mind? To start off with, 
Because just like those false teachers of the past, so also the world today falsely indoctrinates the church with all kind of false spiritual scales, counterfeit spiritual thermometers that mislead multitudes of Christians to kind of try to figure out their real spiritual conditions. Now, we're not talking about unbelievers. We are all false converts. We are talking about genuine Christians regenerated and saved by the blood of the Lamb. And the world tries to indoctrinate them with counterfeit thermometers. And what happens when they embrace these false counterfeit thermometers? They begin to transform their lives and the lives of their children and their family according to false measures. And while they externally do the things that quote-unquote look spiritual and they get the false teachers and the world to clap for them and even the whole hell to dance for them, yet internally they are malnourished they're, they're starving, and the more they conform to this false teaching, the more they become useless vessels to the master. And when they meet the Lord, and then they look back into their lives, they realize that their um, spiritual ladder that they were climbing was leaning on the wrong wall. And that's why we need to keep this in mind. The second reason why we ought to keep that in mind is because when Colossians, the first hand who, uh, first people who read these words that were written here in verse nine uh, in Paul's prayer, words like, um, knowledge, wisdom, and spiritual understanding, those words would have leaped out of the page. Why? Well, because those false teachers Use these terms. Oh yeah, false teachers love. They are experts in using Christian vocabulary. They, they give those terms different dictionary, different definitions, but they use these terms nonetheless. That's how deceptive Satan is, and that's why we, we've got to watch out. And so what does Paul do? He places these words smack dab in the middle of his prayer. Remember, he started his prayer earlier on. And more precisely, at the start of his supplication, so as to say, do you want to know the true spiritual thermometer that you need to align your lives to? Do you want to know how to draw nearer to God, how to measure your true spiritual condition? Do you want to know the kind of the right knowledge that grows you in your spirituality? Here it is in my prayer to God for you. And it has nothing to do with visions, philosophies, or any false doctrine that the world throws at you. What is it that you need? Here it is. This is the crown of this verse. Right in the middle of this verse, it says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. This is it. 
And what we're going to look at today is the motive, the matter, the meaning. We'll understand what these um, points mean as we go through it. First, the motive. Motive of what? What do I mean by motive? Is the reason why Paul made this request for them. So in verse 9, we start in the first bit where it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. There is a reason that compelled Paul to pray for the Colossians. Now, what is this reason? It says, since the day we heard of it. Heard of what? Heard of the reason. Meaning there is a factual truth that once Paul heard it, it, it drove him to his knees. It lifted his hands up in the air. It caused him to intercede for the Colossians. What factual truth that he heard? What was it? Well, up in verse 4, he tells us exactly what he heard. Verse 4, it says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. So in other words, once Paul heard that this group of people were genuinely saved, this led Paul to both be thankful to God, we read that in verse 3, and also here, this word also, make request to God for them. Or to put it in another way and to incorporate what we've learned so far from the previous verses, let's unpack it a little bit more. We would say, Paul is saying here, since the day we heard that the gospel has come to you, you heard the gospel, you understood the grace of God in the gospel, you learned it, and now it's bearing fruit of love in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and this fruit is now increasing since we, the day we heard of all the above, we have not ceased to pray for you. So the moment he understood that they were saved, he was motivated to pray to God. That was the motive. But now we dig deeper and find out the matter. And what I mean by the matter is that the matter of highest importance. Why does it matter to pray? Why, why, why is it important, the significance of being filled with the knowledge of his will? We'll continue reading. This just now... He says, and to ask that you may be filled. The moment he understood that they were saved, he prayed that they may be filled with the philosophy, extra biblical information, that you may be filled with visions. No, no. That you may be filled with whatever the world throws at us and tries to convince us that we are in need of. In other words, that you may be filled with happiness. That you may be filled with health and richness. As soon as I know that you're saved, that's what I'm praying for. No. That you may be filled 
with the knowledge of his will. Not that now that you're saved, I pray that you don't feel lonely and have lots of friends that love you or that your family now would respect you. None of the above. Brothers, we need to understand that we live in a world that is man-centered, carnal, fleshly. And so it is totally given to selfishness. Many people, even Christians, carry this kind of attitude even in their closet, in their prayer room. A Christian man who's influenced by false teaching of this world has in his front and center as this primary desire of his prayer, his well-being, his safety, his feelings. And so, so long as God saved him, meaning that he secured his eternal life for himself, then what else would he pray for more than to feel good, more than to prosper, to be of good health? And he prays this for himself and for the people around him. And I submit to you, brothers, that this is not God-centered. It is man-centered attitude. For example, a Christian mother would say, all I want is for my family to be saved. And from this point and onwards for the rest of her life, her primary request of her prayer is for God to give her comfort and peace at home. A husband would say, well, so long as I would go to church twice a week, then I can pursue my career. Why? Well, I need this. What do you mean? Well, I need, I need the money. And then what happens, brothers? A young brother in Christ would come along and would take a look at this man's life and he would measure his life against the counterfeit spiritual thermometer of the world and he would say, well, he's a Christian, Right? And he's working hard to pay off the mortgage or he uh, continues to pursue his career path and maybe perhaps even knows lots of Christian stuff. Well, he must be a spiritual man. Well, in your mind, you would say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, in and of itself, all of these things, nothing wrong. I pray that God would give us to prosper and to work hard. Absolutely. And to give us comfort. My brothers, I would say it again. If we are primarily motivated by seeking our comfort, if we sacrifice our devotion to God and the devotion of our family in the altar of materialism, and self-centeredness, then who are we really living for? What about God? Brothers, we must, we must live with a God-centered view of life. 
And Paul recognizes this. So he begins his request for this church and he would say that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In other words, I want you to be primarily motivated, not by all these desires, no, but by God's will in your life. Another thing to note here as we dissect this phrase even further, we say, why Paul? Why, why wouldn't you make, for example, the first request in your prayers that we are filled with God's joy? That's a good thing. Not just general joy, but God's joy or all peace. Well, why not be praying that you may be filled with zeal or passions? These are good stuff, aren't they? Absolutely, for sure. But brothers, we need to understand something very important. That as much as these are good virtues to cultivate, They can be counterfeit in assessing our true spiritual condition. And on top of that, they are not the primary means for us to grow. No, no. They are fruit of our growth, but they're not the means. So yes, we pursue God's peace, God's joy and zeal and all the above. It's all beautiful. But far more importantly for us as children of God, brothers and sisters, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Far more importantly. Why? Because that is, this is the sum and total of the means for our spiritual growth. As far as our responsibilities are concerned, this is the foundation that undergirds all virtues. In one hand, you take away the filling with the knowledge of God's will and what have you got? You've taken away any hope of growth. In the other hand, you show me a man, you show me a woman who is filled with the knowledge of God's will and I show you a man who is strong and has vitality and endurance. You might say, well, Wissam, aren't you taking it a bit too extreme? Aren't you making too much of a deal out of this? I mean, if Paul prayed any other prayer, you would have pointed at it and you would have said, ah, oh, look, this is the most important thing for you to do. What's a big deal? Is it a big deal? Yes, it is. And it's not because I am making a big deal out of it. It is because God is making a big deal out of it. And let me prove it to you. First, again, within this passage, first look at the matter of urgency. Paul says here, since the day we heard of it. Paul is saying here that as soon as we heard of your salvation, I didn't wait for a month. I didn't wait for a week. No, from day one, 
Immediately, at once, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. It's a matter of urgency. Now, why is it the first request, the moment he heard that they were saved, ran, ran into his prayer clothes and prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will? I submit to you because it's of the highest importance in the mind of God for believers. The second reason why it's a big deal, I believe it's, it's a matter of persistency. Again, pay attention to what he's saying. We have not ceased to pray for you. In other words, we've never stopped praying the same prayer over and over again. Paul is like a, a broken record here. And pay closer attention. It says, not seized. He places double negative words together as to emphasize this determination to pray this prayer. Meaning, I'm not going to stop this petition. I'm going to keep going. I'll be relentless begging God for you. I'm going to keep on slamming on the gates of heaven until you are filled with the knowledge of his will. This persistency speaks of eagerness. Does it not? Why, Paul? How come? How come it's a big deal? Let's look at verse 10. We'll look at it next time more extensively, but let's just look at it. It says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the outcome. These are the outcomes. When we are filled with the knowledge of his will. How important is it to be filled with the knowledge of his will? Now, if being filled with the knowledge of his will is of highest necessities, ought we not try to understand what this phrase actually means? So we come now to the third, the third point. We looked at the motive, the matter of importance. And now, what does it really mean to be filled with the knowledge of his will? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's take the meaning of every word in his phrase to understand what's going on. And lest we uh, misapply it in our lives. First, to be filled. What does it mean to be filled? It is to be saturated. We know that from an English dictionary, right? To be filled is to be saturated, to be inundated with something, to be completely full of something. The word carries an idea, by the way, in, in Greek back then, to being fully equipped of something. It was used to describe a ship that was set, it was ready to travel in its journey, in its course. And Paul is praying that the journey of our lives may be given to the knowledge of God's will. Now, the New Testament, as you begin to 
help to study the, this word in the New Testament, you realize that it carries even a deeper and more profound meaning to be filled in, an, in a scripture. It means to be totally controlled, to come under governing rule, to be dominated by something, someone or something overpowered you. You've given up wrestling against this person or this thing, and now your mind is consumed. Your um, affection is captivated, and now it's directing your will. Let me give you some examples to show you what I mean. In John 16, verse 6, Jesus says to his disciples, Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Feeling sorrowful has hijacked you. Everything now that you think of, feel, and do is now dictated by sorrow. Acts chapter 14, verse 52, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the disciples now were totally controlled by joy and with the Holy Spirit. They are led by this. Again, in Acts 5, verse 3, Peter, when he rebuked Ananias, he said to him, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie. Satan dominated Ananias' thoughts. That's what feeling is. So back to our text. What is it that we are to build, to be filled with? What is it that must dominate us? Not materialism. Not even our joy and comfort and peace, as good as they are. According to the text, it is the knowledge of his will. Paul desires for Christians, first and foremost, to be completely governed by, to be consumed with the knowledge of God's will. That's the word fill. Now, the word knowledge. Now, this word knowledge is not just a mere surface knowledge. Our lives are not ever to be dominated by some abstract theoretical knowledge. You know what I mean by that, right? I mean, I'm, I don't know about you, but I can be guilty of this sometimes. What do you do? You go home, you uh, open a, a Puritan book, you read a chapter or two, you kind of like that, you close the book, you write a, uh, a quote in, in a social media, you post it, and then you call it a day. That's it. Now I'm spiritual. That's not what Paul is saying that he's praying for. Normally, the word gnosis, I know many of you know it by now, the word gnosis is translated to be the word knowledge, generally speaking. But here, Paul adds a preposition pre epi, epignosis, which intensifies the meaning. It's a deep 
thorough knowledge of God's will. Now, how do we attain this knowledge? There's nothing mystical about that. We don't need visions or dreams. Why? Because, well, uh, God doesn't play treasure hunt with his children. You know, where, where he gives us his knowledge of his will, uh, somehow in a mysterious way, and you have to go um, and search for under every rock and behind every tree. That's not how it works. All we need to do is to open his word and to study it. And when we study his word, we will get a deep and thorough knowledge of his will if we're not lazy about it. However, and this is what I believe the misconception begins because someone might say, oh, well, is that what it is? So to be filled with the knowledge of his will, all I need to do is to study the Bible. Right? Hmm. Well, you know what? I read the Bible. I teach the Bible to my children. I even know many, many theological words that even many people can't pronounce. I guess this makes me filled with the knowledge of God's word, God's will. And so I must be a very spiritual man. Brothers, Paul is not saying, pay attention to this. He's not saying that, the, that only your mind is to be filled with the knowledge of his will. It says that you, you may be filled. You yourself, your entire personhood, your whole entire being is to be filled by this. In other words, what Paul is saying here, brothers, brothers, the greatest of importance to your spiritual life is for all who you are. What constitutes you to be consumed, dominated by all of the knowledge of God's will. This is far more important than anything else in your life. All your mind and your affection and will to be totally given to such deep and intimate knowledge of all that God wants you to be. So, it is not enough to have this intellectual knowledge of God's will. We must go all the way to obey it. In fact, he enforces this idea in our mind by the rest of the verse where he says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is to say, God, would you give these people to think clearly about your will? To meditate on it, to reflect on it, to speak of it to explain it, to treasure it, to live it out. God, would you give to this group of people to know how to apply your will in their lives? Do you want to know whether you're really, you're really growing in the Lord? Do you want to? Do you want to know where your spiritual condition is really at? 
You want to have the right spiritual thermometer that is irrefutable? Don't tell us how much you know. Don't. Tell us how much you're living out the will of God in your life. And that's how you know. It is not by how passionate or how zealous you are. It is not by someone who's standing here and, and preaches his heart out. It is by how we are living the will of God in our lives. Let me give you an example from the scripture. There are many, many examples in the scripture, but I'll just settle it for one. The apostles in the book of Acts chapter 4 were filled with the Holy Spirit, right? They went and they preached the gospel to people. Then these cold-blooded religious leaders that we have witnessed through the gospel of Mark who killed their master not long ago. They captured them. And they threatened them. And they said to them, don't you dare preach the name of Christ. Don't you ever make mention of his name. They moved out. They let him go. They came and they gathered together with the rest of the church, the disciples. And they prayed this wonderful prayer. And pay attention to the very first request they made of God. Once they've acknowledged where they're at, there were real threats. They've just murdered the son of God. And now they're coming after his slaves. And in Acts 4 verse 29, I pray that we take this to heart. They're praying to God and they're saying, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant your slaves that your slaves may what would you put in there? Let me tell you what they said, and let me tell you what I, in my flesh, would normally would say. That they may speak your word with all confidence. When I read this, I was blown away. You see, here's the thing. When, when, when we know that people are really after us, and they're not like kind of dogs that bark but don't bite. No, they've just bitten the Lord. They killed him. They plotted his assassination. They, they killed the son of God. And now they're threatening them. And then they come and they pray, God, may you grant your slaves. To me, I would think that the very next sentence would be, um, wisdom to know how to share your word and wiggle our way out of persecution. No. To grant your, your slaves to be joyful in the midst of this hard, hard trial. No. To grant your slaves and then you can complete it. And we think that this is wise and spiritual and godly. But they went far away from these self-centered prayers. And right in the midst, in the lines then, they would pray, God, what we want first and foremost is to speak your word with all confidence. How's that? 
Why would they pray such audacious prayer? I submit to you. Because number one thing in their life, the one thing that they were captivated by is to do the will of God. Is this true in our lives, brothers and sisters? Are we given exclusively to the will of God? Let us reflect Is our mind, heart, and will consumed with the knowledge of his will? It's paramount for your health, the health of your family, the health of your church. To be these kind of people, to be filled with the spirit of God and thus to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Brothers, think of Saving Grace Bible Church. What would it be like? If we find the love of God in Christ Jesus so attractive, so beautiful, that upon embracing Christ as truly our portion, that he's truly the source of our joy, we would resolute that God's will is the only thing that matters in life. Nothing else. Only God's will. Would to God that we recognize that we exist in, on this planet, in this universe, for nothing else but God's pleasure. God's pleasure alone and his glory alone. So that our prayer would be reformed. And we would say, not our will, Lord God, but yours to be done. Would to God that we would know that we are not our own. That God owns every bit of our lives. Everything. He owns us, brothers and sisters, by means of creation. He owns us by means of election. Would to God that we would always remember that we were purchased by that redemptive precious blood. We are His and His alone. He owns us in many different ways. He owns us by means of adoption, by means of marriage, by means of lordship, by means of friendship. Would to God that we would realize that we are exclusively and eternally His and His alone. Would to God. that we tattoo this in our hearts. And thus, we would most gladly hand over the resignation of our will to him. And if we do that, what a church, what a church in this age that will come to God and would be wanting to be filled with the knowledge of his will. That we would say to God, God, whether in sickness or in health, in poverty or in riches, we surrender our own ambitions, our dreams to you. We lay down our own goals and aspirations at your feet. 
And we freely and cheerfully accept your will for us. What kind of church would we be if we place ourselves, our lives, and all that we have at the altar of worship and say to God, have it all. Have it all. They're yours forever. To God that we would publicly declare that there is nothing better in life but for Christ to be the Lord over us and for his spirit to indwell and to lead us and to dominate us by his will. And if we would have our hearts and minds be filled with the knowledge of his will, we would say to God, God, use us as you wish. Send us wherever you want. Carry out your entire will in our lives, no matter the cost, no matter the price we pay. Brothers, we would be a church that is full of vitality, full of strength, full of joy of the Lord, There is peace. There is no anxiety because we are pursuing God and his will in our lives. May this be true in his church. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for the clarity of your word. We are thankful that we don't have to go above the highest mountain or swim across oceans to know your will. Just need to open your word with submission to your your spirit. Father, fill this church with the knowledge of your will, not just only the intellectual, mental awareness of what you want, but lead us, Lord, to have a good, spiritual condition. In other words, lead us, Lord, to live out what we know. In Jesus' name, amen.